Well, good morning, Woodside. How are you? Great to see you. My name is Jim. I'm the campus pastor here at Woodside Lake Orion, and uh, we're so glad you're with us today. What you just saw, if you've been around Woodside for the last number of years, you know that uh, towards the end of the year, we do a Christmas vision spotlight as to year-end giving, where the Lord, we believe, is taking us in the year to come, and kind of looking at our current budget for uh, the year, and this is our first week of that time um, where we're kind of getting a little bit of vision of where we're going and hearing about what God has laid on our heart and how our above and beyond giving can actually have intentionality here in the region, internationally, globally, as well as our campuses here and maybe even some impact in Pontiac and other areas. And so today's, today's the first week of that. Uh, man, if you've been around uh, the last couple of years, we have inserts in our bulletins, but this year is a little bit different. On the inside of your bulletin each week, you'll just see the front page that'll kind of highlight this week's, uh, for the next few weeks we'll be doing this. This week's is just on the inside of your bulletin, so you want to grab one of those each week. And then pay attention, in, in the mail, we're going to actually be sending a handout, uh, a little uh, pamphlet that'll be reaching your front door, we'll be sending out, giving you a little bit more of information about where God is leading us, where he's calling us, and how you might be able to get it involved by um, participating with us. But this year, as normally, our first week, we talk about closing the gap on our actual budget. And Pastor Chris alluded to that, a little bit of where we're at across all of our campuses. I mean, if you're new to our church, and this is your first time here at Woodside, uh, you can just let this kind of go by you. They were talking more of uh, our, our family here at Woodside. And if you're visiting, uh, please know that we don't want anything from you. We're just glad that you're here, all of you here today. Or if you join us online, we don't want anything for, from you, but want something for you as we participate in kingdom movement. And so uh, this week we're just talking about closing the gap. And Pastor Chris talked about uh, the essentialness of closing our gap. Here at our campus in Lake Orion, we're about $70,000 behind our budget, uh, which isn't a massive amount, but I think it's totally uh, doable for us to finish. Our budget goes all the way till May. And so here towards the end of the year, our goal would be, I, I would love to see our campus close the gap in that budget that we could enter into the new year uh, right on budget to finish the year going to May. Additionally, I'd love us to be able to participate in giving towards the year-end visions, and we have to close the gap first before we do that. And so my prayer for us here at Lake Orion is to be able to do that moving into the end of the year. We've done it numerous years in the past, and for us to pray about, maybe you here, you've been coming to our church for a while, and you have yet to step into generosity at the church. We firmly believe this is what God calls us to as believers, being a part of the local church, myself included, my family included, and so our heart is just for you to pray about what it looks like for you as a family to participate in what God is doing and the mission God's called us to here at Woodside and Woodside Lake Orion specifically. And the number we saw on the screen, it seems like a large number, but in totality of our budget, it is not. And it's what helps us keep the day-to-day -day operations going, the lights on, the everything going on, the mission God's called us to here in Lake Orion, our staffs to lead and guide and direct and pastor and shepherd. And so uh, my heart is that maybe God would lay it on our hearts to close the gap moving forward into the new year. Again, if you want to get involved in that this year, a little bit different, uh, inside your bulletin you'll see a giving envelope if you give physically. Um, all of that will be going towards the year end, or you can scan the QR code there, or you can go on our website and see how you can participate and get involved. We're going to be seeing different videos each week on this. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, highlighting some of the things we talked about with leadership development, our Pontiac Dream Center, what God's doing there, some stories of that, and then also Aka John in Thailand and how we can participate and push forward the kingdom of God there. I'm looking forward to seeing what God has for us this next year and how we might be able to be involved and how 
you and I together might pray about how we might be able to participate in giving above and beyond what we normally give to push forward the kingdom of God uh, going into 2024. Amen? All right, cool. I'm going to pray and ask God. Um, as I said the last number of weeks, I, I want to get into a habit of praying. While we don't take a physical offering in this place anymore, I'm praying and asking the Lord to provide for us uh, to move forward the kingdom of God. It's only by him that we even have. Your paycheck you get and I get is only because the Lord blesses you with it, and myself included, and all the blessings we have is only from the Lord. And I think it's a good place for us to be acknowledging here in our gathering that what we do is not made by man. Amen? It's only because of the goodness of God in our lives and then the goodness of God to spur us on to obedience and generosity. And so let's go before the Lord and lay it down on his feet what God has called us to do that he would provide. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be present here. Um, it's not lost on me, Lord, that um, we sit in a building that is completely debt-free because of the generosity of your people. Many people outside of this building who call this place home. What a beautiful thing it is, Lord, that we can be the hands and feet of you just by participating in what you've called us to, to push forward the kingdom of God all over in Thailand and Vietnam and Laos and all the places you're calling John and his wife and his ministry in Thailand. What an amazing thing it is that we can be a part of what you're doing in Pontiac in the Dream Center by participating in obedience and generosity. What an amazing thing it is, God, that we can be a part of the next generation of young people entering into ministry as statistically there are more pastors and people leaving ministry every month than there is entering. So God, burden us for the kingdom of God and what you have for us. And God, we ask that you would provide all of our needs for this church, for every individual in this room that might be wrestling and struggling with inflation and cost. And would you provide for us, Lord? We need you every day. And today we're asking for that specifically in the text, as we do every week, that you'd provide an understanding of what you call us to in forgiveness. What an amazing gift it is, even on this week as we talk about it, Lord, that talking about you canceling our debt. What a beautiful reminder that is of what you have done for us. Spur us on, Lord, to forgive as you have greatly forgiven us. In Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Well, if you would, you could turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. We've been in a series for a number of weeks, most of the fall walking through Matthew 18 in a series called Conflict, Con, um, Conflicted, where we're dealing with conflict in a conflict education, walking through Matthew 18 to see how it might impact us. And, and Jesus here is really laying out the rudimentary um, kind of day-to-day -day operational life of a believer and how we might live in peace with one another. And today is no difference when, no different when we enter into the topic of forgiveness. As I wrote this message, this sermon for all of Woodside, I wrestled with this topic. I wonder if you're like me, if you've ever wrestled with giving or extending forgiveness. 
It can be in a lot of different areas of life. If you've ever been challenged with men, it's really hard to extend forgiveness to someone who's hurt you or harmed you or taken advantage of you or sinned against you in some way. Depending on your situation, I am not lost in the fact that there are many people in this room that are, are experiencing something in different ways. You might be joining us online. It might be someone that took something from you, harmed you, hurt you, said something against you, uh, left you, abandoned you, whatever it is. I'm sure there's a lot of you in this room that have, ex that have experienced the struggle of true forgiveness. And what I mean by true forgiveness is a forgiveness that comes from your heart, not from your lips. As I, was, as I was writing the message, I was reminded of a story that I had seen in the news and read the article. Again, actually, you can watch the YouTube video if you want to Google it later. It's quite powerful. There's a story of a Amber Geiger, who's a former police officer in Dallas, Texas, who, who was found guilty of the murder of Botham Jean. You remember the story? The, 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 the case became very national news because of the circumstances surrounding If you don't remember it, there was a lot of allegations of racism. Geiger was this white police officer, and Botham Jean was an African-American, and Geiger shot and killed him in his own home as she allegedly made a mistake of entering the wrong apartment and thought he was a burglar, right? Well, Geiger was sentenced to 10 years in prison, and some of the voices inside the courtroom were crying out that it wasn't a strong enough punishment for what had happened, or sorry, outside the courtroom. But what's fascinating is inside the courtroom, there was a different voice. It was the voice of his brother, both, uh, Botham Jean's brother, Brant. And when you watch this, I'm explaining it to you, but when you watch it, it's deeply and profoundly moving. His brand has his opportunity to share, and what he says is he forgave Amber Geiger and explained that he wished no harm on her whatsoever. Actually, he said that he loved her. He loved her, and his encouragement was that she would find Christ in the situation. And in this moving moment, he asked the judge, can I go and give her a hug? This is the woman who shot and killed his brother. And, and was told no initially, and he kept crying, can I please go and give her a hug? And he got up, and he went, and he hugged this woman as she wept after he had just forgiven her, extended love and grace to her. And the tears in the room were not just visible, they were heard. As even the judge was wiping her eyes from the forgiveness that was just shown by Botham Jean's brother, Brandt. And when you look at it, it's countercultural to everything we've probably seen in most other cases of murder, whether it was, was, it was intentional or not. That's beside the point. And you think about it, what moved Brant Jean to extend forgiveness like this? How could it be? His brother's on, uh, uh, this woman's on trial for her brother's murder. And in, in, the asset, in, in the moment of it all, he extends love, says, I love you. I wish no harm on you. I actually forgive you. And may this forgiveness point you to Jesus. You might say, how in the world did that happen? Well, you find the answer in our text today. And what I want you to see today is that God family, us, the family of Jesus, forgives because we have been forgiven. You see, Brant Jean understood and experienced the forgiveness that only comes through Jesus, and as a result, he could only but extend forgiveness. 
And I'm giving away the entire message. But this is exactly what Jesus gets at in this parable that is at the end of Matthew 18. That is the point of everything that he's been sharing and getting at. Maybe one of the most formative teachings on forgiveness in all of scripture. Jesus teaching how to resolve issues with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Peter, who's the loud mouth who I can identify with. Often in the text, asks a question. He says this at the beginning of verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Anybody else been there? Like how many times, Lord? How many times do I have to do this? I just need a number so I can sleep better at night. And it seems like it's a good question, maybe even a more generous one that we know of. When you just read over the text, when you dig in, it's a little bit, it, Peter actually seems like he wants to fulfill what Jesus is saying. And additionally, he's even being generous in it, right? In Jewish rabbinical thought, um, they based on some Amos passages in the Old Testament that God revoked punishment for three times or three offenses, but not four. So three but not four, limiting forgiveness to like three. That's what rabbinical thought was of the day. So Peter seems really eager to apply what Jesus has said, and even he's being generous. You say three, not four. I'm saying seven, Jesus. Is that good enough? Jesus' response to him is fascinating. And Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Now, in other translations, it also says 70 times seven, which is even more. And it really could be translated. There's people that think either way. The point is the same. Does Jesus really mean that forgiveness is like this checklist you keep, that when someone, you know, uh, does something to you, you keep track of it. So once they reach 77 times, I'm out. 77, I'm done. I've been waiting for this with my spouse. It's been 77 times. I'm done. I'm no longer forgiving you. I'm moving on. Is that really what Jesus is getting at? Another law to keep 77 times. Make a checklist on your refrigerator and just keep track of it. Is that really what he's getting at? I don't think so. Now, Jesus is pointing to the fact that forgiveness is a heart attitude, a condition of your heart and your spirit, and it's something that can't be counted. What we're going to see is that God doesn't keep count of your forgiveness, does he? Jesus isn't there. God the Father isn't there like Jim once today. And like I said, if we're just keeping track, I am probably going to be out there and say, I sin every single day. I'm a broken individual. I know that shocks a lot of you. It's, it's okay. Every single day. So just this year, it's been 365 times. So I've surpassed it. Does that mean God is done with me? Does that mean God's been keeping a checklist? Jim, you've passed the amount of times. No. He's saying, I don't keep track of it. Neither should you. It's not about fulfilling a number. It's about your heart. I will go so far. Much of Matthew, Jesus is there. Matthew is showing how Jesus is all about your heart. The whole Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, one of the most formative teachings in all of Scripture from Jesus is all about the heart. He's saying, no, it's not about just murdering. It's about anger. And if, you've commit, if, you, if you have anger in your heart, you already murdered them. Man, it's not just about adultery. If you lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He's going back and back again. Where is your heart with me? We are, we are called to be holistic beings, not just hands and mouth, but heart. And he's the same here. 
is what I want you to see is Jesus is getting at, that God's family forgives because they've been forgiven again. But the question is, is why is it necessary? Why is, why is forgiveness necessary in your life? Why do you extend forgiveness to someone who's hurt you, to a father that's never been around in your life, to, to a spouse that cheated on you, to um, a, a friend that gossiped about you, to someone who abused you as a child? The list could go on and on. Why do you extend forgiveness? Why is it necessary? Well, Jesus shares in a parable to, to get to the heart of the matter. He shares a story. And a story is powerful. Parables are some of my favorite teaching in all of Scripture, and this one is, not the, it is just the same. And in the parable, Jesus is just going to share a couple of reasons why it's necessary for you to forgive and for me to forgive. And I want us to read this with fresh eyes, not just like, okay, I've heard this one before, the unforgiving servant, that's cool. No, like, and just ask the Lord, is there places in my soul where maybe I've forgiven people with my lips but not my heart? Are there places in my heart that I've never let forgiveness enter or extend? So you, you see there's a couple reasons. The first one is because we've been forgiven much. It's right there in the big idea. At the beginning, these aren't like awe-inspiring points. They're just taken out of the text. Look with me in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. So he says, man, forgiveness is 77 times, uh, really unlimited. It's not about a number. It's about your heart. And he wants to teach a parable of what that looks like. So he gets him a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owned 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him that or the debt. You see, the first reason he says is because we've forgiven, forgiven much. Now, I just want to give you a couple of things around the idea of parabolic language. A parable is a story with intent that is allowed to embellish things or exaggerate things almost like a child's fable. So there's exaggeration in the text, in parabolic language, for a main point. Jesus is trying to get across one point. So you think of it this way. The kingdom of heaven, he says, may be compared to. Notice he didn't say the kingdom of heaven is exactly like this. No, it's a story with intent to get across usually one main point. So it, his main point here is regarding forgiveness. So we shouldn't jump to application and focus and try to interpret every little thing. So you just take, for instance, he says, man, this servant, he orders him, his wife, his children, and everything to be thrown in prison. Is that the kind of God we serve? Jim, you, you, you failed? I'm, I'm taking your whole family and throwing them in prison. No, he's sharing a story. With intent, we need to focus on the main point of the story. So the story is about a king, a master, if you will, with his servants. And he's settling his debt, and he has one servant that owes him an unbelievable amount of money. And Jesus is already pointing to the fact that he is our king, and we are his servants, and we owe him an unbelievable debt, a debt that we will never pay. He, he exaggerates with the enormous amount of money. It's almost crazy how much money he's talking about here. 10,000 talents. A talent would be a measure of gold, silver, or copper. 10,000 talents would be about 
200 metric tons, and a talent would be equivalent to about 6,000 denarii. Now, none of that makes any sense to you. It's okay. Therefore, this servant's debt, when you add all of this up, would have been around 60 million denarii. Now, in other texts, it says that a denarius was one day's wages, so it would require this laborer to pay back his debt 164,000 years. So what he's saying is that he's getting to the point, he's exaggerating the language to point out, you will never pay this off. And all the time, all the begging, this would, one commentator said this is a modern equivalent to a zillion dollars. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds big. It's past a trillion. It's past the U.S. debt. A zillion. You'd never pay it off. So because of this, the servant couldn't pay his debt. It says what? He ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had. And the servant, it's amazing when you look in the text, it seems like he wants to pay off his debt. Seems like, give me time. I'll do it. I'll do whatever I have to, right? But there's such a massive gap between them, he's unable to do so. Because of his inability, it says what? He falls to his knees and he begs for mercy and grace. What, what comes next is unexpected as you're listening to a story, just put yourself in the shoes. Like, okay, well, it makes sense. He threw him in prison. That's normal in our culture and today. But what comes next is, is almost unbelievable out of compassion. Really, the word pity there, uh, Greek word uh, for pity here could, could, could mean feel compassion, have pity, love out of one's heart for someone who is misfortuned. Uh, and Jesus uses it many other times, and it's translated compassion for the emotion, the actions that Jesus expresses. And so what he says is the king looked on this servant and his misfortune and the overwhelming debt that he had that he would take thousands of years to pay off, and he had compassion on him, which resulted in complete forgiveness. And what the servant is a picture of is that we are that servant that God not just has patience with, he, he pays the debt in full. And what the servant wanted was patience and a chance to repay all of his debt, like begging for the opportunity. What he received was not patience. He received forgiveness, complete forgiveness. How many of you in this room love debt? Yeah, cool. None of you. I was like, okay, we're going to have to get somebody in here to like pray over you. Right? That's one of the things I love about Woodside. In almost all cases, we are a completely debt-free church. I love that. Because there's something beautiful about that, that we, we, we express, like, we, we only use what God has given us to move forward the kingdom of God. We're all not over-leveraging ourselves. And, man, if there's a lot of freedom in that to move as God has called us. Man, for you, imagine all of the debt that you have. Maybe you're debt-free here today. If you are, teach us something. Imagine one day you get a letter in the mail and all it says on the front of it is paid in full. All of your debt is paid. Your mortgage, credit cards, car loans, school loans, all of that. Uh, how would you feel? I would feel blown away. I would, I, I would be unbelievably blown away. Now, while it, compare, it pales in comparison to what we're, we're reading about and what Christ has done for us, it helps us understand a little bit of what forgiveness is like as well as what we have experienced in Christ. If you've ever read Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, this is what it says, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and circumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by what? 
by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, this is the first point of the parable, is that this is what we have experienced in Christ. Because of what he's done on the cross, because of what we celebrate the first Sunday of every month in communion, his blood shed for you and his blood shed for me and his body broken for you and his body broken for me cancels the record of debt, the sin debt that I have with God. Because, man, before Christ... It says that I am storing up wrath with God, and the debt that I have is my sin, and someone's got to pay it. And if it isn't God, it's me. And that's why if you are not covered by the blood of Jesus, that's why we experience separation from God from all of eternity because our debt hasn't been paid. But that's the beauty of the gospel is that someone else paid my debt. And it's Jesus that he cancels the record of debt. You see, forgiveness is so essential because we have been forgiven so much. God doesn't keep a tally of your wrongs. God doesn't keep a tally of mine. He doesn't know how many times I've sinned. It says that it's far as from the east as the west. He remembers it no more. Now, now there's a, point to, a couple of points of application that come out of this. The first is that scripture, scripturally, debt and forgiveness are seen as the same. That forgiveness is seen as a releasing of debts. Now, when you think about debt, debt is something, it's something that we incur by taking something from someone else. Now we're getting somewhere. It's, it's, you're not taking it like just whatever. It could be from a bank, an individual, an entity. But debt is the opposite, right? Debt is typically money that is owed. Now, when you start thinking about this in, in the nature of forgiveness, this is what forgiveness and the lack of forgiveness is. It's debt or debt owed. And so, man, when you extend forgiveness, it's releasing someone else who owes you because they've hurt you, harmed you, or offended you. And the opposite is true. Man, the nature of unforgiveness is the nature of you owe me. And you're going to pay it back. And there's in this lifetime maybe no way with which you could ever pay back what you owe me. You cheated on me. You owe me. You left me as a kid. You owe me. You abused me. You owe me. You spoke ill of me. You owe me. And this is the nature of unforgiveness. The nature of forgiveness is calling us to release that with an open hand. Saying that God is not still saying, Jim, you owe me. He's saying, no, Jesus paid it all. He, he paid it all. The, the second implication is so important for us, and maybe many in this room, that the parable puts to death the idea of works-based righteousness. I think that's key for maybe some people in the room and people that might be joining online, is right the chasm between what is owed and what can be paid is a zillion-dollar chasm, Right? It will never be satisfied in this life. Like the parable, the servant in the parable, many people today in very religious ways and unreligious ways are falling to their knees, asking for more time and promising to pay back to God what is impossible. 
Like, God, if I just give some more money to the church, you'll be happy with me. If I pay something to the church, you'll be happy with me. If I do enough right and not enough wrong, you'll be happy with me. Just give me more time, I promise. And I don't care, and I'm not trying to be offensive, what some other church or entity has told you. The works base, I will pay it back, I'll do more, I'll try harder, I'll give more money to the church, or whatever else is not in the word of God. It's not there, right? It's not, I can do more. Rather, the only response to accept the free grace and forgiveness that has already bridged the gap on our behalf in Christ, they're released of what we owe. And then we live a life in response to the forgiveness that we've experienced. This is the grace of God. And if if you have yet to experience that kind of grace from God, Today, that is your response to just ask the Lord to forgive you. It's free. By placing your faith and trust in Jesus. Man, if you've never experienced the weight of your debt and what you owe is still on your shoulders, maybe today is the day for you to respond and say, God, forgive me, a broken sinner. And and there's people, I promise you, in this room and online, and they're like, God will never be able to forgive me of what I've done. Man, just think about the parable and what Jesus is saying. There's a reason it's there. It's a debt. Maybe yours is extreme and more extreme than the person next to you. I don't care. Jesus made a point that you could have the most extreme. It's still forgivable. And when Christ died on the cross, all of your sin was in his future, and he still died for all of it. And today, don't let your brokenness hold you back from experiencing the forgiveness of your debt being released. See, this kind of forgiveness is what motivates us to forgive. How do I compare? And I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm trying my best to be really gracious today because I know there's people in this room that have experienced tremendous hurt and brokenness in the life in this life, at the hands of someone else. I'm not trying to make that tr- like, seem like nothing. I know it's a big deal. But when I hold that in comparison to what I have done and what Christ has forgiven me, it is not comparable. This is what Jesus is getting at. But he goes further. Christ's forgiveness necessary, not just because of what I have experienced in Christ, but it's the way of the kingdom of God. And if I'm a kingdom person, this is what should flow out of me, is what he's getting at. This is the kind of thing that should come out of who I am. Look as he continues. But when that same servant went out, the one that had just been forgiven like a zillion dollars, when they went out, he found one of his fellow servants and who who owed him a hundred denarii. We'll come back there in a moment. And he seized him and he began to choke him, saying, What? Pay me what you owe. I don't forgive. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt, all that debt, because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had had mercy on you? 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, he says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see... Again, this is a parable. There's some exaggerated language here. He, he doesn't say here, I for, he says, I forgave you because you, you begged me. Is that the gospel? Like, if you beg God enough, I'll forgive you? No. He's sharing a story that should speak to our heart about forgiveness, the one point of forgiveness. So, man, as the parable continues, we expect to hear the servant go out and forgive everyone. Man, I've been forgiven so much. Like, this is unbelievable. I've been impacted by the grace of my master and lived this unbelievable, generous, and forgiving life, right? But that's not what we read. That's not what we hear at all. The master has just forgiven his servant and shows how his master treats, like, servants. So wouldn't you think that the servant would treat another servant the way the master has treated the servant? Yeah, probably graciously, forgiving. Unfortunately, the opposite happens. It's fascinating. The first thing he does is pursue another servant, demanding payment. Demanding it. Right? And what was owed? He's just been forgiven like a, a zillion dollars, and the first thing he has on his mind is repayment just for this small amount, right? A hundred denarii. It's still a lot of money, maybe four months' wages in comparison, but still this great amount of money. But he's just been forgiven 147,000 years of debt, and this is the first thing in his mind. And the response of, of the servant, if you read it, again, this is supposed to captivate our hearts, it's the same. It's almost word for word the same. He fell down, he pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. You would think that this would bring to mind in his own heart. This is what I just did and this is how the, the, the master responded. But his forgiveness is long gone. His experience and memory of it is in the past. And what does he say? Rather, he refuses. He went and put him in prison and said he should pay the debt. His memory is gone and he moves forward this way. So when it's witness, when his fellow servants see it, they're pretty upset about it. And they go and tell the master, and in response, what does the master say? You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I have had mercy with you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now, this is a swift and stern judgment on the servant. But what does that say? Do, again, do we elaborate every detail of this to think about our, our, our theology of God and all these different things? So the point, right, is this, is that, man, how could you do this when you've been forgiven so much in comparison? How can we not but extend forgiveness? And this is the question that Jesus wants all of us to wrestle with. How can we not, as, as, as ugly and gross and broken as what maybe someone has done to us, in comparison, Jesus is saying, how can we not, but at least with effort, extend forgiveness. And in closing of Jesus' parable, and this in parabolic language, when Jesus is teaching a parable, there's usually a main point, and it's usually towards the end. It's what you call in parables the nimshaw. It's really important because it's like you're telling a story. Do you remember the story of David? David is he's just cheated on, or excuse me, he had, he had stole someone's wife, Bathsheba. He already sinned. Then he took her husband, put him on the front lines because he couldn't get out of it. All this different stuff. She's pregnant. So he, he does all this stuff, and the prophet comes to him and tells him a story. And David is like outraged. He's like, dude, we got to get that guy, and he needs to be punished. And he's like, that's you. 
You see, what he did is he told them a parable. You see, the point is for us to do the same. We look at him, we're outraged. How could this guy do this? And this is Jesus' point at the end. How could you do this? How could we do this? As he says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's key words there, from your heart. I'll just ask you a question. Do you, you think this is, means that forgiveness is a prerequisite or it, it hinges a condition of your salvation? That if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't forgive someone, you'll be damned to hell? Is that what it means? You've got to forgive everyone. If you don't, then God is going to get you. You think that's what it means? I don't. J.C. Ryle rightly says this, and I think it's so key for us to understand. There's no such creature as an unforgiving Christian. Listen to this carefully. That being doesn't exist. Christians forgive. We forgive because we have been transformed by the power of the gospel. The last point of my church's vision statement is lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And Jesus readily endorses that. If the gospel of forgiveness gets in you, it comes out of you. It brings the fruit of relational transformation. And I think that is the key here, the heart of what we're coming across as he rightly expresses that this is a heart issue. His final word there is, is emphasized from your Hearts. He's saying true forgiveness is not something that falls off our lips as much as it comes out of our heart, right? The point he's saying is this, is that, man, if you are truly a part of the kingdom of God and you've truly experienced the forgiveness of your sins and you're truly experienced the king looking at you and saying, paid in full, our hearts will want to extend forgiveness even if we wrestle with it for years and years and years. It's a wrestling towards forgiveness it's not a bitterness of the spirit and the heart saying no they wronged me they owe me he's saying that in your heart if you are truly a follower of jesus and a part of the kingdom of god even while you struggle and it may be a lifetime struggle to release the debt that someone owes you you want to move in that direction right if you're a parent here you know this often if you're a human here you've experienced this as a kid or maybe as an as an adult Right, we tell our kids all the time, go forgive your sister or your brother. And we hear this mumbling, I forgive you. No. Don't drag your feet. Don't stomp your feet. Don't mumble it. I forgive you. <laughs> Jesus is speaking to the opposite of that. You might leave this place today. Stomp your feet out the door. Say, Jim said, if I'm a Christian, I have to forgive people. Fine. That's not what Jesus is after. And Jesus knows it. God knows your heart. You see, God is after people that will have a heart of forgiveness. So I'll just ask you a simple question today. Where's your heart? I don't care what you said. Where is your heart? Have you been harboring unforgiveness in your heart for years, months, days, whatever it is? If that's your heart, I'm just being honest with you to the best of my ability. 
your heart is crying out like the unforgiving servant, pay me what you owe. And my prayer is that our heart wouldn't be that. You see, what motivates us in forgiving others is the forgiveness that we've actually received in Christ, right? Because so many times, I don't know about you, but myself and other people, we want to put people in our lives into the position of the servant that owes us. We want them to get on their knees and they want us to beg us. We want them to try and pay back. We want them to do all this stuff. We're actually working the opposite direction of the parable. We want them to do what the servant did rather than doing what God has done for us and be a part of the family and the kingdom of God. It means that we extend forgive because, forgiveness because we've been forgiven. Now, I'm just going to say, as I've said already, I understand that there are people in this room and people online that you have experienced deep pain and hurt because of what has been maybe committed against you. And I am so sorry. I've heard the stories of many in my life of ministry. I am so sorry. Jesus is our example here as Jesus hung on the cross without any person in this life saying, I'm sorry, what did he say? Father, forgive them. May we be motivated. And maybe for you today, it's not extending complete forgiveness to the person who abused you, to the spouse that abandoned you, to the father or the mother that was never present or is no longer even alive and you still are struggling to express forgiveness, maybe for you today, it's just a step in that direction. It's a moving towards forgiveness. You see, when we say that someone owes me, it's we're like clenching our fists and maybe today it's just opening a couple fingers to say, I'm open to that direction. And I know this is what God has called me to. And it's, it's robbing me of my joy in life. It's causing bitterness in my soul. And I need to move in that direction, God. And I need you to help me today to release part of that today. This is what God is calling us to. And I'll say too, as I know that there's many people probably as well today that it's not another person that you're struggling to forgive. It's you. I'm telling you, there are tons of people in this room that struggle to forgive themselves of something they have done in the past and they can't release it of themselves. It's the same. It's like you looking in the mirror saying, you owe me. I can never forgive you for what you have done. The parable applies the same. God himself has forgiven you. May we be people who respond and say, okay, God, and release that. Because forgiveness is necessary. God has already forgiven you all of your past, present, and future sins. May we move forward in freedom, right? This is the end of the entire series. And in the Sermon on the Mount, I told you, 
Jesus is getting to the heart, the start of Matthew, of everything that we really read throughout Matthew. And he talks all throughout Matthew about the heart. And in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And there's today, our last week in a series that's been about conflict and forgiveness and reconciliation, right? May we be people that don't sit in a room, worship God, sing praises to God, hear from God, and leave this place. No, Jesus is saying, leave your gift at the altar today. Don't worry about what you're doing in this room. Go, extend forgiveness. Go, be reconciled. Go, live in peace. You can come back to your gift at the altar here. And may we be people who live by forgiveness, extend forgiveness, walk in forgiveness, experience forgiveness. Man, the band's going to come. We're going to sing a song. I'll come to the altar. And I love the end of the chorus over and over again. It says, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is what you and I have experienced. May it impact us in such a way that we actually live it. That you might be here today, that you could walk in freedom of forgiveness that Jesus has extended to you today by expressing your faith in Christ and what he's done for you. May you today be able to extend forgiveness to your own soul and maybe begin to walk in that process because of something you've done in the past. And experience that maybe you today could walk in freedom rather than holding something against someone saying, you owe me, but extending forgiveness and the free grace of God because you've experienced it in a tremendous way. And tomorrow you'll experience it, and the next day you'll experience it, and the next day you'll experience it, and the next day you'll experience it. And you don't have a God who is in heaven keeping a tally. Well, Jim screwed up again. No. From the very beginning, before I was ever born, God said, Father, forgive them. And the same is true of you. So may we be a people. My, my heart, as I was writing this message, my heart is that I would be a person of forgiveness. You, our church, would be a people of forgiveness. That we would radically transform our relationships with other people inside this church and outside this church because we are people that don't harbor debt against other people. I mean, I just want to call. I, I know that there's people in this room that are really wrestling with this. <laughs> they have been hurt, harmed, or they have harmed themselves, and there's an essence of unforgiveness. So as they're going to sing, I'm just going to be down here as he did a couple weeks ago. Man, if you want to come forward, I'd love to pray with you, pray over you. There's nothing special about it, but maybe your first act of forgiveness towards someone else and yourself is just to get up and walk forward and say, Lord, today I just want to come forward to the altar and say, Father, forgive me. Father, help me forgive someone else. Father, I can't forgive myself. And maybe walk today out of this room, every person in some form of freedom, walking forward in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me? God, thank you for today, for the opportunity we have to gather in a place that is set aside to hear about and experience the forgiveness and the free grace that only you can. And God, as I look out at the people in this room, I'm looking out at people that you have marked. Marked by forgiveness and grace.
grace that have experienced that. Today, Lord, I ask that you would spur all of us in this room to be people extending forgiveness, people that have experienced your forgiveness and walk in that freedom. So God, if there's someone here today that is really wrestling and struggling, would you call them to come forward, pray with me, pray with someone else? And may we walk in this place in a freedom of forgiveness, knowing that all of our debt has been canceled by the amazing free gift of Jesus and what he's done. So Lord, help us come to the altar today of your forgiveness and walk in freedom.